Welcome to Wellness Rebranded. We know there is so much conflicting health and fitness advice out there. And you're tired of the wellness fads, endless diets, and impossible standards that make you feel like nothing you do is ever enough. You're ready to tune into your mind and body and feel empowered around health. We're the Healing Trio, here to help you redesign your relationships with food, fitness, and yourself. I'm Elizabeth, registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor. I'm Maria, licensed mental health therapist. And I'm Tara, personal trainer. Together, we're changing the narrative on health away from diet culture, hustle culture, and toxic positivity and towards healthful self-care. So grab your water bottle, get ready to laugh, learn, and grow. And and let's let's start rebranding your wellness journey. Hey there, it's Elizabeth, and I've got a really important and free 10-day video series that I want to tell you about. It's called Informed, Diet Culture Truth Bombs You Need to Know Before Changing a Thing About Your Eating in January. Every year, I see the same flashy and misleading diet culture marketing preying on people's insecurities as we head into the new year. I see well-meaning eaters falling into the same restrictive food traps again and again, jumping into programs and approaches that not only don't solve, but actually worsen their eating struggles and relationship with food in their bodies. And I think, if only they could know some key facts about dieting, food restriction, and what is and isn't likely to work when it comes to supporting their eating, health, and well-being before committing to a single change. Well, now you can. In a 10-day series of short, I'm talking five minutes or less videos, I'll be pulling back the curtain on the most important information you need to know to make a fully informed decision about how to best approach your eating, health, and well-being in 2024. Just visit my Health and Healing with Intuitive Eating community on Facebook or send me an email at livehealthy at Elizabeth Harris Nutrition to join. The link to my email will be in the show notes. I can't wait to see you there. Welcome back to another episode of Wellness Rebranded. I'm Elizabeth here with Tara and Maria, and today we want to break down the BMI and talk about why it is, frankly, BS. That's right. So I get this question a lot at the gym because we have this super cool scale that tells us how much bone density people have and how much muscle and all this, all these different factors. And one of the things is BMI, of course. And it's the only thing on the sheet that anybody has ever heard of. Um, And usually I cross it out immediately with a Sharpie and I say, don't worry about that. BMI is stupid. And we just move right on. But frequently I get the question like, well, why? Why is it stupid? Like my doctor likes this and you don't like this measurement? So I figured we should do an episode on it. To be honest, I'm shocked we haven't done it this already because I also have this conversation with essentially every single client. Yeah. So let's get into like a little bit of like where BMI came from. Um, BMI was created by this guy named Lambert Adolphe Jacques Quetelet. Quayle, actually, is how you pronounce it. <laughs> you don't like my French pronunciation? Quetelet. <laughs> Quayle is his right. last Quayle. name in the eight, 1800s, like yes. 1860 or something. Yep, 1819, actually. Okay, thank you. Um, so he was a statistician, and he kind of like and had... an astronomer. Yes, also that, and a social scientist. Mm-hmm. Um, but he kind of had this, like... You know what he wasn't? Like, a, a BMI master? A medical professional? That's point number one. (laughs) Right. Dude was not a medical professional. And also, this was the 1800s, so it would be unlikely that that would have a hell of a lot of application to today's anything. Like many other things that we... Like many other things that have progressed. Tell 
the people, Tara, what he was originally setting out to do with, with this formula. So this was like a pet project of his, and he originally wanted to find what he called like the ideal man. Yeah. <laughs> what do that, you you feel like? I feel like you know more about that part. Uh, well, he set out to, it was like a, a project. He wanted to classify sort of like the average man or the, mm-hmm. the kind of like essentially that. But it feels very eugenic-y. What? Wait, yes, what? it does. And also, what do you mean? Fine in terms of he like statistically speaking. Yes, he kind of wanted to like what it. What are the average proportions or the proportions of the average man or something? But in his head, well, he came up with a formula. Yes, but what so. is the the what was the desired? He it just was, he was just looking for like the mean. Okay. Uh, statistically. And he did this for things, not just body. He was, like, looking at, like, marriage rates, birth rates, oh, death I didn't know rates. That. Yeah, he was looking at, like, a whole ton of stuff. And somehow we just kind of, like, cherry-picked his body things and made <coughs> it what it is today. Okay. Well, yeah, but the point about it is he was he was a Belgian astronomer in the 1800s. So mm-hmm. he was looking at, essentially, white European men. Only men. To mm-hmm. come up with this or to kind of validate this formula that he came up with. So it automatically is not inclusive. Mm -hmm. And also, he was looking at the population level. So he was looking at a group of people, not an individual. He He also excluded, like, people, he calls it people with round shoulders um, and people who were not well from this so it was never never really meant to be this like thing that it turned into no 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 of course not you know but i mean like in his defense right and so fast (laughs) yeah in his defense he didn't really like set out to like make our healthcare system in 2023 a piece of crap (laughs) (laughs) that wasn't his goal um it's just that his research kind of like started this yeah so fast forward to the 1960s yes so fast forward to 1972 there was a guy named ansel keys did i pronounce it right (laughs) yes (laughs) quite a let So the guy named Ansel Keys, he was a pioneer in nutrition research. He's a very well-known nutrition researcher. Yes, and he kind of rebranded this um, research that Quayle did. And Wait, but are you going to talk about the MetLife part? So essentially what happened is that somewhere along the way, Metropolitan Life Insurance Company, I believe in the 1960s, mm-hmm. started to notice they were using it for their insurance variable tables. Yes. And started to notice a trend that, I don't know how they got their hands on his formula, but somehow they did. And they started to notice a trend that people higher on, with a with a higher BMI had a like decreased life shorter life expectancy. expectancy but again it's important to look at the whole thing in context because think about who was buying life insurance in the 1960s it was mostly wealthy, wealthy white, white men, men right. who also 
do you think may have had higher rates of stress mm-hmm. in their lives due mm-hmm. to their professional circumstances? Or so, so again, not only was it excluding huge amounts of population, but there may be, we always, we always talk about how correlation doesn't equal causation. Yep. There's all sorts of reasons why they might have been noticing that that weren't actually caused by the BMI. Yep. And then essentially it sort of got picked up by the medical community I mean, nowadays time. you would require a lot of more research than that mm-hmm. to yeah. really go with something. This is essentially based on... <laughs> you would on, think, except we still <laughs> use it. Uh, right, one would hope, right? This is essentially based on, like, two studies, right? The original one from, like, the 1800s, and then Ansel Keys redid the research um, in 1972. He chose, like, 7,000 white males, and had them all in apparently good health, which, of course, eliminates, like, a whole huge portion of <clears throat> the population. And he figured out the ratio. So uh, for those of you who aren't aware, BMI is your weight in kilograms divided by your height in meters squared. And then it plots you on, like, a chart saying whether you're underweight, um, healthy, Hold overweight, yeah. <laughs> or obesity-like categories, one, two, three. trigger warnings, please, yes. Right. Tons of trigger warnings. It's not a good I hate, measurement. I hate classifying bodies. Yes. Mm-hmm. We all do, right? That's why we're here mm-hmm. um, to kind of rally against this. But because it is a measurement that is used a lot in our society today, we thought it was important to do an episode on what BMI is because most people who sit in my office go, oh, I've heard of BMI, but I don't really know. Yeah. Right? Um, and then yeah. essentially what it does is just tell you, like, oh, you're healthy, underweight, overweight. And almost no one knows the history of it. But there's also another really fascinating part of the history of BMI that we should be sure to mention, which is what we know it as today. In the late 1990s, the the World Health Organization and the European version of the BMI was like a slightly different scale than the U.S. one. And so in the late 1990s, overnight, um, the U.S. wanted to bring our number more in line with the WHO or our chart more in line with their chart. So we lowered the threshold. So overnight, 30 million Americans who previously the day before had been considered quote unquote normal weight Mm -hmm. were now bumped into the overweight or obese category. Now, mind you, absolutely nothing about their bodies changed. What changed is they lowered the threshold. And the other important piece of that that story or that puzzle is that the World Health Organization numbers were formulated based on lobbying, essentially, or people people on that board had ties to the pharmaceutical weight loss industry and weight loss companies. So that is to say they had a vested interest in making more people think that they were quote unquote overweight or obese because their companies stood to profit from that. Right. So this is like criminal. It's not familiar in the mental health field. Yeah. When all of a sudden we start diagnosing with people with the same disorder because pharmaceutical companies need to sell a specific psychiatric medication anyway. Ah, fascinating. Yeah. I mean, our healthcare system really needs um, an, overhaul. an overhaul for sure. And I don't think any of us in here pretend to have the answer to healthcare reform. But BMI is something that we should not be using. Mm-hmm. 
to diagnose people. Yeah, so that's a little bit of the history about it. Mm -hmm. But also, can and I, I think it's important, like, later on, we should share some data about, you know, we're just told if you're in the quote-unquote overweight or obese category or levels of, of, um, of that, that it's automatically you're unhealthy or automatically mm-hmm. a risk factor for, you know, mm-hmm. different things. And and the data behind it doesn't necessarily, that, that's it's not quite that clear cut. Yep. But before that, perhaps we should talk about all the other reasons because believe it or not, there are so many other reasons why the BMI is not helpful. And BMI doesn't tell us anything. It literally tells us what our weight divided by our height is. Yes. And that is completely unmeaningful to us. And right? Well, and it doesn't tell us if we're going to develop a disease. It doesn't tell us if we have a disease. It doesn't tell us if our if we're worthy of anything. Well, right? it's or just completely it's, nonsensical. You know, it's not your blood sugar, your cholesterol, like any of those potential lab markers. But what I was thinking is like first of all, it doesn't take into account gender, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't take into account diverse populations. Mm -hmm. It doesn't take into account muscle mass. And in fact, it actually negatively accounts for muscle mass. And which doesn't make any sense because we know that higher muscle mass is correlated, right? Again, correlated, not causation. But we know that higher muscle mass is linked with better health outcomes and longevity. Less chance of injury. So that, you know, it also doesn't take into account, what else, Tara? What am I forgetting? Muscle mass is the big one I always talk about, but if you have a lower BMI, um, you know, BMI doesn't tell you what's going on inside your body, um, but doctors will tell you, oh, you've got low bone density if your BMI is low, which is not the case. Mm -hmm. It doesn't tell us that. Not necessarily. We wouldn't wouldn't know that. Right, because it doesn't measure that. So there's some conflicting advice there. So this is one of the reasons why when people come to me and say, oh, but my BMI, I say, oh, I don't care. (laughs) Your BMI is worthless to me as a personal trainer. But, you know, as society, we love categories. Mm -hmm. It makes it so much easier just to put a bunch of people in a category and then think we have the answer to what the next step should be just because of it makes me think even of intelligence tests. Mm-hmm. You know that yeah. we're also created with a certain population, mm-hmm. not really measuring different variables, not progressing with the years. So just yeah. Well, and we've done at least one or more episodes, or touched on it in more episodes about you know the harmful effects of weight stigma, particularly mm-hmm. in yeah. healthcare. But the point is, we're using that those BMI labels to classify and then, you know, obviously it wasn't the intention behind it originally, but it ends up hurting. Yeah, people end up experiencing a lot of weight stigma and shame because of it. And people, but also many doctors, make assumptions about people based on their weight when they come in, right, lower or higher weight, but unfortunately much more scaled towards the higher end. And the problem with that is you 
you don't know what someone is is or isn't doing in their life based on their BMI. And also even things like we have a, an episode planned on eating disorders, but a lot of eating disorders get missed in people in larger bodies because they don't fit the quote-unquote yep. profile of what people are expecting. And, I, and I've, I've seen a lot of research and data coming out lately that actually I, I, I don't really want to say that it out loud because I don't have the you know, the exact data, but there's more and more research coming out that actually um, many, many people in larger bodies proportionally perhaps even experience eating disorders and completely gets missed. Yeah, I completely agree with that. An example of how BMI can be harmful just from my life is I was thinking about going back to Shady Grove to have a second child. I've decided that's probably not in my plans at this time. But Elizabeth and I had a conversation about a year ago, or maybe less than that, where I said, okay, I want to go back to Shady Grove, but uh, my BMI is this, and they only accept you if your BMI is, you know, whatever it is, 39 or less or whatever. And I said, so I figured out I need to lose like 20 pounds to even be able to go back to do this, even though I have successfully carried a child and had a healthy pregnancy and gone through fertility treatments at a higher body weight. They still want me to do this. So like, how can I lose 20 pounds really quickly, even though that's not what I want to do? And it's not something that's important to me. In order for me to get this treatment that I want, I need to do this. Yeah, and that's a terrible position for anyone to be mm-hmm. in. And it's very, very common yep. mm-hmm. to be denied care or to be told you have to lose weight in order to get a surgery mm-hmm. that you, you might really need. Mm-hmm. Yes. I was also told along the same lines, I have a strong family history of like uterine cancer. And the last time I was at my OBGYN, she was like, so if you get uterine cancer, you are too fat for us to operate on you. Um, So the treatment would just be like an IUD and hope it goes away. And I was like, that sounds like terrible treatment for cancer. Mm -hmm. Like I definitely would want a hysterectomy because (laughs) that's typically how we treat uterine cancer these days. And she was like, not going to happen. So her advice was basically to, like, lose enough weight so that when I get uterine (laughs) cancer, they can treat it. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of like, cool. Wow. That sucks. Yeah. But that's just another example of how, like, did she look at any of my other numbers? Yeah. No. My other numbers are all healthy and fine. Right. I'm definitely healthy enough to survive a surgery. Right. And yet they wouldn't even consider that because my BMI is too high. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or where's the research to show that you're not? Sure. Right. Right. Um, But there's a lot of data that is usually really surprising when I start digging in and sharing it with people. There's a lot of data to show that the BMI doesn't necessarily even show what we want. Like, for example, a lot of people are really shocked to learn that the, the category with the highest mortality risk is actually underweight. And the category with the lowest mortality rate, Maria, do you know what it is? No. It's overweight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's and this is there's lots and lots of studies, but the one that I'm referencing specifically shows and it comes directly from CDC data that in between the two, so in between lowest mortality rate, highest mortality rate is normal and that first level of quote unquote obesity. Mm-hmm. And there's no measurable difference between the two. 
Wow. And they're in between lowest, highest mortality rate. And that, you know, that's one that's part- so interesting. Particularly, yeah. particular set of data, but there are many, many more. So we know, and, and, you know, there's another study that I'm thinking of where I think it's like 30% of the people in a higher weight, I can't remember the exact BMI classification that they were using, but they were found to be metabolically healthy. And then if you look at the people in the quote-unquote normal range, it's like 29% of them were found to be metabolically unhealthy. Mm-hmm. So, again, like... It's not telling us what it's uh-uh. supposed to be telling yeah. us. Yeah. And if I wasn't so tired <laughs> today, I could I could rattle off a bunch of other kind of studies like that. But it's, it's really quite shocking when you start digging into it mm-hmm. because it's so counter to what we're told. Yeah. It's so common and so widely used, and it's such a piece of crap. Yeah, and really, like, when you start digging in, perhaps at the statistical extremes, the mm-hmm. very, very ends of the scale or the spectrum, it it maybe there's stronger correlations. But, but it's much wider. The range of sort of what we could consider healthy bodies is much, much wider than BMI would lead us to believe or than we typically hear about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just think it's so ridiculous that this metric that was never intended to be used for this purpose, that was invented in like the 1800s, is still so completely widely used today, even given that it excluded all women and most other types of men that weren't healthy, mm-hmm. right? And every ethnicity that wasn't white. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we are somehow using this as like a, hey, this is good for the whole entire world. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, it's just ridiculous. So in closing, no one number can measure everything. Yeah, so I do think we should share. So if we don't look at, you know, if we want to de-emphasize BMI, what else can we look at, right? It Like specific lab markers? Yeah, lab markers would be the way to go for sure. Blood pressure, cholesterol, uh, blood sugar, your family history. I would look at your muscle mass too. Yes. That's super important. um, You could look at some of your lifestyle behaviors. Those are a small, you know, Mm -hmm. they have an impact. It may not be as large as Mm -hmm. also as we think. But there's so many. I, I one time asked in my Facebook community, Health and Healing with Intuitive Eating, for like a little plug, come join us. What measures people, what were your people's favorite measures to pay attention to? And it, it was just, it turned out to be a really cool list that people came up with. Mm-hmm. And so just, you know, again, weight and health are not the same thing. And BMI is not really that useful. And the funny thing is, I think even most doctors would readily acknowledge that. It's just the insurance companies that sort of force us into using it a lot. Yeah, shout out to MetLife for starting us down this path. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you for joining us for another episode of Wellness Rebranded. If you want to focus on your nutrition or your fitness or your mental health, right, without a side of diet culture and weight stigma, please reach out. We are here and we would love to talk to you. And for all our listeners in the Annapolis area, I'm going to have next year something called the Emotional Fitness Studio. It's going to be 24 wellness workshops throughout the year. So if you're in the area, please visit my website, thecoachingtherapies.com. All the information is going to be there soon. 
Thank you for listening. If you want to connect with me outside of this podcast, you can find me on Instagram at coaching underscore therapist. I'm Elizabeth. You can find me at Elizabeth Harris Nutrition or in my Facebook group, Health and Healing with Intuitive Eating. And I'm on Instagram and Facebook at Tara DeLeon Fitness. Guys, if you loved this episode or any of our other episodes, we would love it if you would leave us a review on Apple Podcast. It really, really helps us get the non-diet word out to the rest of the world. So please leave us a review. Yes, thank you. 